Hey, uh, we're here in James chapter 1, excited to be continuing this series called Faith Forward. And the, the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about is a difficult conversation, but we're kind of highlighting this dangerous tendency that you and I have to be drawn to money and stuff, materialism. And what we've kind of said is that we need to stop pursuing possessions and start pursuing Jesus. And what I want us to do is pivot a little bit today. We're really talking about the same thing, really in this same text, but we focused the last couple of weeks on what I would call the negative side of that, right? Stop pursuing possessions. Stop pursuing possessions. They're worthless. Yes and amen to all of that. But what I want to do today is focus for a little bit on what it looks like and what it means for us to pursue Jesus, because that's important too, isn't it, right? Like we don't just need to know uh, what, how do we stop doing this, but what does it look like? to pursue the Lord. In one beautiful verse today, James is going to, I think, sum up the beauty of pursuing Jesus. And I want us uh, to think a little bit, though, about why it's so hard for us to live in the middle of the daily grind. Isn't the middle difficult? It just is. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this in your life, but I was thinking about how our culture tends to value big moments and huge epic achievements. Yet we don't often see the daily work that produced those moments, right? I thought about Olympian Michael Phelps. Remember that dude? Probably the most decorated Olympian maybe of all time. We've seen pictures of him on the podium just draped in a ton of medals. But what you don't see, unless you're that person who watches hours and hours of Olympic coverage every four years, is the reality that he spent most of his waking hours in a swimming pool. And when he was out of the swimming pool, he was eating because he consumed like 12,000 calories a day to maintain that work ethic. For the record, I'm training for the Olympics as well. I just haven't gotten in the pool yet, okay? Yeah, yeah, I haven't got one. It's fine. I've been training for a long time. Uh, it hadn't worked out yet. Don't know why I can't make the team. Uh, I float pretty good, but that's about it, you know? So, so we, we see the epic moment, but we don't really see the work that led to that moment. We don't really think about it. I was listening to a podcast with uh, one of my favorite musicians, Ben Rector, and he was talking about songwriting. And he was talking about the reality that people kind of say, how'd that song come to you? As if they act like songwriting is just a magical process that happens. And what he said is like, I'm writing every single day. And out of hundreds of songs written, about every th three years, you get an album of like 10 songs. But every single day, he's working at his craft. And then, again, every few years comes out this, what seems like an epic record. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. You may not be a, an Olympian gold medal winner, or you might not have produced a record album in recent years. I mean, Gary's the can relate there. But, but you and I can probably relate to this. What about remodeling projects? You ever have the moment where you're like, we're going to paint the house. I think this is a great idea. The beginning of that is fun, isn't it? Just to dream what it could be. Let's go look at paint chips. Let's pick out colors. Man, this is exciting. But then there's a moment in the middle of it where you've got drop cloths over all your stuff. There's paint on every part of your body, and you're confused to how it even got there. It's drying a little bit different than it looked on the chip. We're going to have to do another coat where you're just wondering why in the world are we doing this? But then isn't it nice on the back end of it? You have a moment where you're like, yeah, we got that done. 
But it's that middle that's difficult, isn't it? I think we don't think about the middle very often, but I want us to think today and understand that it's the middle that really makes the ending. Without the hard part, our story is incomplete. There's no metal without the work. There's no album without the songwriting. And for the Christ follower, there is no crown of life without the work of walking with Jesus day in and day out. So that's what James is going to teach us today. And we're going to let him introduce this concept in a simple and clear way. And then we're going to talk about what that looks like in our lives. So would you read verse 12 with me of James chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen there. And we're going to read one verse and pray and then ask the Lord to help us. It says this, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this text asking you to help us understand it. Lord, help us know what it looks like to live this blessed life that you're describing here in your word uh, we know you want to speak to us so god give us ears to hear hearts ready to receive and lord hands and feet ready to walk out your truth today we just thank you for what you're going to do and give this time to you it's in your name we pray amen and amen well here's the big truth for today i'm not even going to wait to tell you this is what i hope you'll remember when you think of james chapter 1 verse 12 the good life comes in loving and walking with jesus now and forever the good life comes in loving and walking with jesus now and forever we're going to see this truth as we kind of unpack this verse together but before we dive into verse 12 i'm actually going to go back to matthew chapter 5 i told you last week that much of james was influenced by jesus's sermon on the mount and i want to read you how jesus started the sermon on the mount now you may not have turned there quickly and you don't have to if you don't want to i'll have these up on the screen but this is matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 3 the first words out of jesus's mouth in his most famous sermon here it is Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So this is a section in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that you have probably, if you have a church background, have heard referred to as the Beatitudes, which is a really uh, great religious sounding word. But in that passage, we see something that, G that James' audience would be very familiar with. You need to know that James was probably some of the earliest writing we have in the New Testament. I think we tend to see the New Testament books and think they're like in chronological order, but James was actually some of the first written scripture that we have in the New Testament, written very early. So how was scripture known to them? You're like, well, we talk a lot about why the Bible is important. You're saying they didn't even have the Bible yet? They had the stories of Jesus memorized through tradition and talking through the story. So I, the Sermon on the Mount was something that most of these believers James is writing to would be familiar with. In fact, they had likely memorized many of these things. And I would just say that it helps when it's repetitive like the Beatitudes are, right? 
Uh, I have some friends even in this room. I'm trying to look and see if my guy's here. Uh, I don't see Lauren. Are you in the room? Okay, I don't see Lauren here today. So Lauren has been memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And, and that's a great thing to work on, by the way. It's a big, audacious task he's dove into. But, but in seeking to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, you start with those Beatitudes, and there's a rhythm to it. So when James says here in verse 12, blessed is the one, immediately they're thinking about the rest of these Beatitudes. So James here, in a very real sense, is giving a new beatitude to those believers and to us to consider today. And all of the beatitudes, and right here in verse 12, start with this one word that absolutely is loaded with ideas and thoughts in our culture today, and that's this word, blessed. I mean, almost when you hear blessed, I need to like have a southern accent and slicked back, I already have that, uh, slicked back here, I don't have that, and be on TV, Right? When you hear blessed, what do you think? Like we kind of think almost immediately like these weird prosperity gospel kind of guys that like, if you want to be blessed, send me some money. If you want to be blessed, do this and do that. And, and all of those things is what we think of when we hear that word blessed. But what does it really mean to be blessed according to the scriptures? The word blessed really in its essence means quite literally just happy. Now, here's the reason some translations have chosen to use the word happy, but, but I think that's not really a good choice because our idea of happiness in 2023 is really too shallow to accommodate the idea that Jesus and James are teaching here. You see, this blessing is not defined by temporary satisfaction. This blessedness is not dependent on our circumstances. No, this is a blessing that is connected with the idea James has been teaching us of endurance and maturity and steadfastness. A, a simple way that I've always defined blessing is this, knowing that you are right in the center of God's will for your life. That's blessed right there. See, we tend to think of blessing in stuff and what do we have, is everything good in our lives? But the good life, as our big truth calls it, the blessing of God is found when you can say, I know I am right where God wants me to be. So I want to just tell you right now, some of you are like, well, yeah, I've been blessed. You're not living the blessed life if you're living in willful disobedience to the Lord. You want to live in God's blessing? Walk in God's wisdom. Walk in the ways he has shown us. We said wisdom is knowing how to walk life God's way, how to do our lives and live our lives the way that God wants us to live. And when we are walking in wisdom, friends, you and I find ourselves in a place of blessing. Now, here's what's wild about that. Because you think blessing like, oh, so if I do good things, I'll get stuff. No, that is our weird American idea of blessings. Did you know that you can be living a blessed life even when everything around you seems to be going to Hades in a handbasket? Some of you are like, I don't like that kind of blessed life. Give me the other one. Let me do enough good things for God that he just pours out stuff on me. Lacking nothing. So, so as we walk through trials, what the Bible has taught us in the last several weeks is that hard times and challenges in life that the Lord allows us to walk through, we know that in every single one of those, Jesus is taking us and molding us and shaping us into who it is that he wants us to be. 
that he is here, he is real, he is present with us, and no matter what we walk through, God is using those things to make us into the men and women that he wants us to be. He's getting us to a place where we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Anybody want to go there? Man, I love that. I lack lots of things. Don't amen that. But you do too. Amen. Oh, sorry. Gotcha. We're not there yet, and we recognize that. It's a challenge for us. But when we talk about walking with Jesus, I need you to understand, I'm not just using vague, generic spiritual terms. Walking with Jesus. That sounds sweet, doesn't it? You're singing in the garden, and he walks with me, and it's like, oh, it's just like we're walking with. No, I'm not talking about some vague, spiritually gobbledygook. Walking with Jesus means right here, right now, regardless of what is going on in your life, he is with you. And that right now, as you're walking with him, he is using everything in your life and his sovereignty and incredible godness to mold and shape you into the man or woman he wants you to be. And you can believe that if you're in Christ today, that he's using everything in your life. And that means even on the hard days, even in the midst of trials, that God is with us and that we indeed are a blessed people. So the call is to live accordingly. And as we walk with him in that situation, verse 4 makes it abundantly clear, and I think this verse is alluding to it as well, we grow. To walk with Jesus is to grow in maturity. Let me just ask you, Christ followers in the room, are you growing in maturity? I think it's dangerous to get to a place where you feel like you have arrived. And the reason it's so dangerous is because so many of us get there without even realizing that we're there. And when we hear sermons, that, that's when you start saying, oh man, my sister really needed to hear this one. Right? Oh, I wish my son or daughter would have been here. This one was for them. Oh, he's preaching on wisdom. Kids, you listen up. And we laugh about it, but we're kind of there, aren't we? But to know that we should be growing in maturity, you should ask yourself, do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? Are you growing in that relationship with him? Man, I mean, we, it's, it's almost like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Like all the cool churches in town are probably doing some really cool series about the family and how to be awesome dads and moms and everything else. And that's all right. We need that sometimes. We've done that here before. Do you know what they're saying to you married couples? Oh, don't you ever stop pursuing your spouse. Go on those date nights. And all of that's true, by the way. That's why at least, you know, once every three or four years, I take Mallory out. Dairy Queen or Sonic I mean we go big go big or go home sometimes we get a blizzard too I mean we just live in our best lives okay hashtag Ben Rector see just throwing him in there so, so here's the thing we say that about marriage and we say we recognize about marriage but then we act like you got saved at camp when you were seven and now like you're good and now once you got saved you just try to be a good person for the rest of your life Y'all, you did not get saved to a religion. You did not get saved to a church. You did not get saved to a set of values or beliefs. 
you got saved by Jesus Christ who is a real person who when you got saved the Holy Spirit of God indwelt you and you have a living God who is with you inside of you and working in you right now in this very moment and that changes everything we ought to be growing and maturing but here's what you need to know this growth is a process it's a process you're still in the middle can we get a little theological this morning i'm going to whether you want to or not but thank you sandy i appreciate the approval i knew i knew sandy had my back so <laughs> even if you all would have went boo sandy would have been like let's go rusty and i would have been like all right three terms that I think are super important for believers in this process of what it means to walk with the Lord. So here's the first term. These will be review for some of you. Some of you may, this may be the first time you're hearing these and thinking about these. The first word is justification. Justification. So, so we want to think about what justification is. Justification is the process of us being made just or right. Now, there are a couple questions you may have when I define that term. So justification is you being made right with God. So the first question you may ask is, why do I need to be made right with God? Me and God are good. Can I tell you as a pastor, I hear that a ton from people. People who aren't in church, they'll say, oh, me and God, we're good. I listen to country music, and they say God like in every other song. So we're tight. I've never felt closer to the Lord than when I'm on that deer stand. Some of y'all, oh, I got some of y'all. <laughs> You're like, I feel attacked, all right? Uh, and he's everywhere. He can meet you on the deer stand. That's fine. Just not on Sunday mornings. You hear me? All right, kidding. Here's the thing. You need to be made right with God because though you may think you're okay with God, the Bible makes it pretty clear that we're not. Here's why. The Bible says that we have a good and holy God. He created everything in the world, including you and me, and he created all of this so that we could worship him and enjoy his presence forever and ever because he's a good God and he created us for his good purposes. But the Bible says in Genesis 3 that the first human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to believe in the lie that God really didn't want their best. Instead, they let Satan, the enemy, deceive them into thinking they needed to go their own way. And can I tell you that Adam and Eve's sin, it's our sin too. God created you and me for his good purposes, but every single one of us at some point has said, you know what, I think I know better how to run my life than you do, God. So I'm going to do my own thing. And the Bible calls that sin. Romans 3.23 says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, no matter how good you think you are, how religious you may be, how much you talk about God, at the end of the day, friends, if you are alive today, you need to know you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So you're a sinner and sin leads to death. A good, righteous, and holy God cannot tolerate sin and rebellion. And you and I are rebels against Almighty God because we have gone our own way. So the Bible says you and I deserve death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from this God who created us. So that's why you need to be made right with God. 
Oh, and you look through history, including the Bible, you see man desperately trying to make ourselves right with God. Maybe if I do enough good things, if I go to church, if I act right, if I'm a good kid, if I do all the right things, then maybe God will be happy with me. But you need to know, friends, there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. If that was the end of the message, then why are we even at church, <laughs> right? It would just be like, let's all go do something else. It's going to be a pretty day out there. Why are we here? But the good news of the gospel is that God loved you and me enough that he made a way for us to be justified to him. And that way was Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinful, sinless life. A full life, though. 33 years of walking and doing everything. Can you imagine that? I don't think I can go 33 minutes without sinning. Jesus went 33 years perfectly walking in the way that the Lord wanted him to walk but he was hung on a cross and the Bible says that as he hung on the cross that the punishment for all humanity's sin past present and future was poured out upon Jesus as he hung on that cross so the punishment that you and I deserve God's wrath against sin and sinners was poured out on Jesus and he took the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin. And he died on that cross. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when Jesus came walking out of that grave, sin and death stayed dead, and Jesus has brought new life to all who would call upon him. So here's what happens. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, a thing that theologians would call double imputation. You like that word? Write that down if you're into this. If you're not, let me explain what that means. Two things happen when you give your life to Christ. At that moment, Jesus' death on the cross has covered your sin. His payment has paid the price for your sin. But not only that, Jesus' perfect and righteous life is also given to you. So you're given two things, payment for sin and his righteous life. Double imputation. But here's what that means. If some of you are like, wow, he's getting way too theological. Here's what that means for you. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior at that very moment, you are made right with him. Completely. You're saved. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you for the sin in your life. He doesn't see you for the guilt. Instead, he looks at you and he sees you as sinless because Jesus paid the price for your sins. And he sees you as perfect and holy because Jesus' perfect and holy life has been given to you. And you are saved. Brothers and sisters, that happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. You are justified before him forever at that moment of salvation. Have you had this moment? Do you know Jesus today? Not do you know about Jesus? Have you hung out at church before? We, we always say it, but being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. When I ask if you know Jesus, I'm asking, do you really have a real relationship with him? If you don't, then, then today needs to be the day that you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says you just have to ask. You have to know that you're a sinner that is separated from him. And because of that, you, you know that you need a Savior. So you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and stands ready to give you new life. So you just say, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner, but I need you to save me. I know you died on the cross for my sins, so I just want to ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And if you do that, if you pray that prayer and call out and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, in that moment, salvation happens and you are saved. That's justification. Is anybody thankful for the doctrine of justification? Yeah, yeah, we can clap for the Lord. Oh, four of you, that's fine. 
I even told you you could, and some of you are like, no, I ain't doing it. <laughs> Justification. It's a one-time thing. This isn't a process. When you get saved, you get saved, and you know Christ. But here's what you and I know, because a lot of you, you've had that moment where you gave your life to Jesus, but you don't just get like instantly zapped into holiness, right? Like it's like, now I got saved and I got no problems anymore. My life's perfect. No, no, instead we enter into this next term and the term is sanctification. Let's talk about sanctification. So if justification is the process of being made just, then sanctification is the process of being sanctified, which is just a word that means purified or to be made holy. So again, I want to just say this. Justification happens immediately when you are saved, but sanctification is not a one-time transaction. Sanctification is a process, and this process of sanctification or being made holy or being made like Jesus, this will not be complete until you are into glory. Did you know that today? So every single day as we walk with Jesus, as we endure trials, as we stand the test that James talks about in verse 12, we are being sanctified. Sanctification is taking place. So yes, we are saved, but sanctification is taking place in your life today. Paul describes this as working out our salvation with fear and trembling in the book of Philippians. So justification says, I am saved. Sanctification says, I am being saved. Did you know that your salvation is an active process? Some of you need to know that today. You're like me and you grew up Baptisty enough to think that, you know, you said some weird prayer when you were seven and you're good now. No, no, no. You gave your life to Jesus and he saved you. Yes and amen. But he is saving you today as you press into the truth of the gospel. And every day he's molding and shaping you into who it is he wants you to be. This is what James is getting at with this invitation to stand the test, to be approved, to walk with Jesus in such a way that you endure, that you mature, and you grow in holiness by walking with him every single day. It's what it means for us to be maturing in Christ. But verse 12 will actually carry us into one more theological term, and that's glorification. Glorification. So that would be the process of being glorified. And this is really the hope of the Christian life. James said it this way, that those who endure, those who walk with Jesus and mature in him will receive the crown of life that he promises. Isn't that the goal? Like this is what we're after. We want to run this race. We want to walk with the Lord in such a way that he one day will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, friends, can I just remind you that there is coming a day, if you are in Christ, that you will stand before the Lord, perfect and holy and perfectly complete, glorified before Him. Are you ready to walk in sinless perfection? I am. And just to know that your motives are completely pure to be completely humble and holy, to, to love with an unadulterated love that we have only seen shadows of on this side of heaven. James is reminding us that glorification says, I will be saved. So again, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And James says there is a crown of life for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
for those who endure, for those who walk with him. And this reward, this ending that is in sight ought to fuel our walk with Jesus, shouldn't it? We don't walk and run as if there's no finish line. Wouldn't it be disheartening to know there's no finish line? I've heard pastors try to say this before. You know, even if I find out one day that this was all nothing, I've lived my life with good and more, and I'm like, you better shut your mouth. Seriously, this happened. I was in third grade, and if if it had been today, I would have stood up and told him to shut up, but I didn't. Some guest preacher popping off. I'm like, don't do. Listen, we do that sometimes, though. You know, he 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 might want that back, so I'm not going to judge that dude too harshly. But here's his name and his web. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) You know what Paul said? If Jesus didn't really come up out of the grave, you guys are to be pitied more than anybody else. (laughs) What a bunch of fools! If this isn't real, what are we doing? Oh, but brothers and sisters, it's real. And it ought to change the way that you and I live today. There's a crown that awaits us. And that should motivate us today. But if you take away the end, like, like some, some of you maybe consider yourselves intellectuals and you say, well, I don't know if that's good, but this is a good way to live. You're living a foolish way, friends. How do you run the race when there's no finish line? told you some of my escapades of running cross country you can tell I'm an athlete and yeah I'm bigger than I was in high school but not a lot lot bigger I ran cross country because our coaches said you had to if I look back I didn't play on all the other sports anyway so I just should have told them to you know go jump in the lake at the cross country track themselves right but I ran and I remember one race in particular we were running on some country club running up and down golf holes you know trying to get three miles in and I just took too long to finish. So long to finish that I kid you not, I look like 200 yards up in front of me where the finish line is, and a lady starts pulling up the pegs for the finish line. <laughs> they, they took the finish line up before I could be done. You know what I did? I walked. <laughs> I was done. I quit running because there wasn't a finish line. Listen, what should motivate your run today is that there's not just little temporary pegs stuck in the ground for us to run through, but there is a crown of glory, a crown of life that awaits every single man and woman who has given their life to Christ. So we should have the motivation to run the race with endurance, with maturity. James is reminding us that this is the process of our lives with Christ. Even on hard days, we press on. So we see this process of justification, of sanctification, of glorification. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. And I want you to know that in the midst of this process, you are blessed today. Right now, you are blessed because you're saved and because you will be saved. You can know that regardless of what you're walking in right now, You know Christ and He is with you, molding and shaping you into who He wants you to be. So you are blessed right now today, whether you recognize it or not. But let's be real. The middle's hard, isn't it? Go to that next slide. Yep, there you are. You are here. Oh, we love number one. I'm saved. It's exciting, new life. 
And y'all, some of y'all got real pumped because I said revelation earlier. There's an end in sight, praise the Lord, and that shouldn't motivate us and excite us. Oh, but what do we do in the middle? The middle's tough. We've been raised in a culture of instant gratification. Like we are a microwave society and we find ourselves in like a, an old crock pot spiritual state. Not the new ones. Man, the new ones, they'll boil your food. You gotta watch it. Can we have crock pot talk? Can we do that right now? No, okay, not right now. Okay. Sorry, what were we doing? Oh, I was preaching. We want the crown without the trials, don't we? <laughs> right? Like we want the medals without the work. We want the reward without the endurance. But the Christian life is not a call to simply survive the middle. Because this is the other opposite thing that happens. Some of us, it's like, okay, I guess I just got to grin and bear it until we get the reward. That's, you've been saved, but now all we can do is just hunker down and survive until we get to the reward. That's not what I see the Scriptures calling Christians to live like. The Christian life is not a call of misery to grit your teeth and get through it. No, but even now to recognize that we are living the good life, even in the midst of our grief and our heartache and our trials, Jesus is with us and he is working with us. You are here, but here's what I want you to know. I didn't make another slide, but I should have. There's a cross beside that that says Jesus is here with you. Jesus is here with you. So here's the call of verse 12. See God's blessing in this day by looking back to your salvation and looking ahead to the salvation that awaits us. And when you see that you are saved and you will be saved, it ought to completely renew the perspective you have today in the middle of whatever you're walking through. Jesus is preparing you for eternity. There is a crown of life waiting for you. But I don't want you to miss verse 12. We're almost done, guys. Hang in there. What is the fuel for sanctification? If the call is not just to grit your teeth and get through it, how do we get through it? Well, look at the end of verse 12. The crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Yeah, see, the, James isn't saying, tough it out and you'll get a prize at the end, <laughs> right? That's kind of what we do to kids. If you're good at church, man, you know, endure till the end of Pastor Rusty's sermon and I'll give you a sucker, right? That, that's not what James is saying to us. Instead, he says the crown of life is promised for those who, who love him oh friends it's not the reward it's the love of God that gives us this love for God and fuels our walk with God because we love him and know that he loves us we want to just press into him so here's the call of this message keep loving and keep walking keep loving and keep walking you know we do a lot of funerals because we have people who go home to be with the Lord and they're always hard you know I've done many many funerals for saints and when I say saints I don't just mean old I, sometimes it's young saints but can I tell you what happens when someone dies and, and you hear someone talking about their lives and their walk with the Lord so often what happens is we end up kind of making like a mythological character of the person who's gone home to be with the Lord right they're spiritual giants Man, they walked with the Lord in such a powerful way. And here's what I want to tell you. That's true. But you know what we don't usually hear? Sometimes you leave those things and maybe you're inspired and you're like, I want to be like that. 
I want to love the Lord like Papa loved the Lord or like Grandma loved the Lord. I want to love the Lord like Brother so-and-so or Sister so-and-so. I want to know Jesus like that. I want to run the race like they did. But can I tell you, it's easy when you're looking at the end, but, but did you know how they got to be that quote-unquote super Christians? By the way, there are no super Christians, but that's what we elevate them to, right? I'll never be like they were. Do you know how they became that? They kept loving and they kept walking. You know, I've never done a funeral for like a Billy Graham type of character. I've never done a funeral for an international missionary that's led thousands and thousands to the Lord. But can I tell you that I've been part of burying multiple spiritual giants. And do you know what made them that? They kept loving and they kept walking. So, can we go back to that slide? The, the one back one. You're here. There you are. How do you make it through this? How do you get through the hard part? You keep loving and you keep walking. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you that the good life is within reach. <laughs> Lord, that the good life is found when we love you and walk with you right now and for all eternity. So God, help us to be a people who live for you and walk with you in a way that changes us forever. Oh God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for your blessing that comes with knowing you and living for you. So God, would you help us today to not seek your blessing and temporary things of this world, but instead, Lord, just to be a people who find our life in you. God, I pray for those who may not know you today. Some, maybe some people in here who say, I, I need to be justified. I've never been made right with God. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would just cry out to you, that they wouldn't leave here today without talking to someone about what it means to know you. Lord, I pray for those who do know you, who maybe haven't been walking. Maybe they forget that they're in this middle spot. They, they were saved and they've just kind of gone their own way. But Lord, would you call us back to a real life of walking with you? Oh God, we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. 